Thank you, Brother Ray. There's an architecture magazine called Dwell. Seems appropriate, right? I mean, we want to see the house we're going to be setting in. So let's see the house there, brother, uh, that we're going to be setting in. Isn't this a wonderful house? It's kind of inviting. The lights just kind of want to pull you in. And for me, uh, for this magazine, it is, it's like, it's a piece of heaven. Just, uh, there's something about certain pieces of architecture that just kind of pull me in. So as we consider the idea and concept of reading scripture today, it seems appropriate that we would want to dwell within the boundaries of God's goodness, right? And dwelling in scriptural terms is probably most, uh, most aptly done by meditating. We all want our houses to become homes, uh, not just places where we go in and out, but we want to dwell, we want to thrive, we want to live, and others with us inside of that, right? That's what we want. That's what our heart wants. And if you're wondering what dwell means, dwell means just to remain within, just to remain within. Joshua 1.8 says this, Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. Psalm 91, 14 says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my Rock and Redeemer. Psalm 119, 97 through 99 says this, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. For they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. In Psalm 143, 5 says, I remember the days of old. Some of you are probably remembering the days of old, right? I ponder, love that word, all your great works and think about what you have done. When we, when we dwell somewhere, we set within its boundaries. We allow it to not just be, but allow it to penetrate us. When Kathy and I started dating after the summer of seeing and being with each other, uh, we engaged in an ancient practice. It's called letter writing. Yeah, some of, you are, some of the youngers are like, what? Yep, that's right. We didn't have texting, cell phones. Well, we had cell phones, but they were expensive and they were about this big or they, you carried them in a bag. And the phone calls... We're long distance. I don't think that concept even hits. So we chose, like Brother Adinka is going to show us, letter writing, a pen and paper, and we would sit with a cup of coffee or a water, and we would write. So every so many days, this is really how it happened. Every so many days, Kathy would write me a letter. Now, if you're thinking it was like a note card like that, it was not a note card like that. It was like six or eight pages long. I don't know where she got the time, but I didn't care. 
I mean, I just wanted to immerse myself in her words. Don't tell me you weren't there. Maybe you didn't have to let her write, but you did other things. And you just wanted to immerse myself and read them over and over and over again. Why? One, I wanted to respond rightly. But two, I wanted to get to know her. And one of the best ways to know her, because we couldn't call all the time, uh, we couldn't see each other all the time, was to read the words that she would write to me about what was happening in her heart. And she would. It wasn't just about, hey, you wouldn't believe what they taught in this class. She didn't care about that stuff. It was about, hey, this is what the Lord's doing in my heart. This is what I'm thinking about us. This is about what I'm thinking about other things. And I would just mull over them. Uh, You may remember the days, and some of you are still there, where you stay in the line until somebody falls asleep. Right? You You didn't want to be the one going, hey, I, I gotta go. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's like that, right? You, you would reread them. You would just immerse them. And I am sure my, my friends at Asbury were just, they're like, Steve, would you just stop talking about her? Would you just stop? I mean, come on. <laughs> put, a, put a ring on it, right? I mean, it was that. And I wanted to know her. And I believe, because we're here today together, she did the same. I mean, I returned letters, maybe not as long, but I would return letters back then that were legible. <laughs> and she would immerse herself in them. In fact, we, we each had our own stack of letters, and maybe you do too, still to this day. There, were, there was a point, though, that letters could not cut it anymore right? The desire to live in love with her was greater than the letters could give, greater than the, the hours we spent together when I would drive up or, yeah, I would drive up and see her at Spring Arbor College back then. I wanted to dwell wherever she was. I wanted to be with her wherever she was. The, the cool thing is that love has not lessened one iota. That desire has not lessened to this day. In fact, it's probably even ramped up in these days because we have no more kids. And so there's a refocus, which I am grateful for. And thank you for some of you praying for that because that's not always the case for many of us, is it? Where when kids leave, we have this desire to reimagine again what that love can look like and how it can be lived out. But can you imagine that love that maybe you have for someone or something is surpassed by Yahweh's love for us? Uh, God's love for us is greater than that. And it just blows my mind. In fact, there are many days I just can't conceive of a love that's greater than that. One that would be willing to give of life and maybe even a few dreams that you had and give up for the love. But he has a a love for us that chases us down. It just pursues us to the end. In fact, Jesus's, God's love for us is revealed to us in the, the whole of Scripture. 
It is, in some ways, this is love letter. It's not this information gathering, this bumper stinker ideal of a moral guide for a living. It is really this love letter that he desires to, to continually reveal to us as we pour ourselves into it and we see our way in. In fact, so much of his love, he gave his son and his son willingly came in a human form. Baby, uh, can one be so helpless and vulnerable? And not only in, as a baby, but in vulnerability of poverty, no less. This is a, not the soil of where kings were usually cultivated unless God is, is creating out of chaos. And we get a picture of that from the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. That God is not into the norm. He's into the abnormal con- compared to the culture around. He creates his own reality, his own kingdom This is his specialty. Jesus then dies a criminal's death. We know the story, maybe. If we don't, we need to become familiar with it. He's laid in a tomb, not even his own, but somebody else's tomb, and then he rises on the third day. Why? Also, we could be restored and redeemed rightly, into a relationship that is righteous and holy with a God who desires our heart and our lives. Scripture tells this same story over and over and over and over again. It tells of the Father's heart for those who are lost, that he lost to the separation and death through our choice. Jesus told several stories. Yeah, one that captures most of us, misty-eyed even, is the one where he says the father runs out to his son or daughter who is coming down the lane to him. And we go, are you kidding? God would leave his porch for us? And he does every single day. And he takes him back where? He takes his son and daughter who has said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you. In fact, I want my inheritance. And he takes them back and he takes them to his home, the dwelling place to say, look, you're restored not just to the servant's role, but you're restored to sonship or daughtership. You are restored because you came to your senses You're not restored because of nothing. You're restored because you came to your senses. In fact, you can look at that passage of Scripture and find that the the one who wanted to leave came to his senses and realized, oh, God's right, I'm wrong. That's confession, by the way. You're right, I'm wrong. That's confession. It's simple as that. And the Father restored him. So when we come to Scripture as followers of Jesus... We awaken to the library of manuscripts we call the Bible. I mean, we, we read it. In fact, uh, Kathy and I got in this discussion this last week. Hey, how many, were you discipled? And I said, oh yeah, I was discipled by this person, and then I went to this person, and I went to this person. I was discipled in how to read the Bible, to read the Bible, to pray, to give, to serve. Uh, integration into church life and community life that is necessary and needed, not because God needs you, because you need the community and you need God. I was, yeah. Uh, And so that whole process was, I was enlightened to the word, and, and when I got into the word, I realized, well, there's a ton of information here, 
But then I realized slowly over a period of time that it's more than a moral guide or a theological dictionary. That it's really, it's not about information like a map. Well, they serve a great purpose, right? They're static. They don't change. I was traveling with a friend, with several friends recently, and my friend had Waze. Now, I don't use Waze, but some of you do. And this is an incredible app. I think it's exactly what the Lord wants to do in us when we're in Scripture on a regular basis. Not only by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're in Scripture because then he can inform us. But did you know when you're in Waze, you can report things that are off on the shoulder? I know you do. I'm just, you know, embellish me a little bit. It's just so cool. And you can also report if there's a police officer, right? Yeah, some of you are like, I know that one. Can I, just, can I just paint you a picture a little bit? That for, for many of us, getting into the word, we say, is very difficult. Okay. There are a lot of things difficult in life, but I find that you do some of the things you like to do that are difficult that really don't lead you to life. They lead you to death. There are other things in life we choose not to do that we should really avail ourselves of because they... They lead us to life and not to death. And the word is one of those. Jesus, God would never send his son Jesus to restore you to death. Think about this. But he would send his son Jesus to restore you to life and thus everything that he desires for you to participate in, to dwell within, is to restore you to life and life abundantly. He wishes to have a dynamic relationship with you, much like the relationship that I have with my wife and with many of you, but I'll just put my wife on the hook right now. God desires for us to interact with Scripture not as a static map, but as a GPS system that says, hey, did you know this is off on the on the side over here? Did you know that coming up is something going to happen? And did you know, maybe you didn't know that Scripture can do that with the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many times I've like, you know, I, don't, I have no idea why I'm walking through this passage of Scripture right now. I, it, it doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, I understand it from an informational side, but I'm not understanding it from a directional uh, interaction dynamic side. But the crazy thing is, is that when I engage in regular, a regular appetite of Scripture, inevitably, God is conforming my heart and my mind to what not only is, but is to be. It is informing me of what is coming, and not only that, but it's giving me the truth of Scripture to live out in this moment and in the moment to come. And so when we avoid the discipline and the practice of Scripture, we avoid the opportunity to have a life that is thriving as what was read. Let me ask you, how long does it take an oak tree to grow? How about a sequoia? 
We are all marveled by them. But do we have the internal, internal moving and moorings to continue in Scripture and with Jesus that will create that? While God can and does at times work instantly within us, and I love the, little, love the stories we hear week to week. Oh, you wouldn't believe. And I, I believe that God does that. But you have no idea how long that gift was coming. You, we think it's instantaneous, but God's patterns are not our patterns. And we think wildly crazy that he thinks like we think. And he does not. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some, some understand slowness. So when you're in those places of frustration, when you're in those places where this doesn't make any sense, God's not coming through with me. Oh, he's coming. He's here. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 1. What wonderful poetry is found in this first psalm that leads into the rest of the psalm so instructive and clear. I don't have to almost say anything. I really don't. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There are three things that the blessed man or woman does not, does not do according to the psalmist. Receive advice from evil people. Receive advice from evil people. You don't call a friend who's evil. The bookie, your local bookie. You don't call your local bookie or whoever that may be, right? You, you don't hang out and practice life Now, listen to what I'm saying. You don't hang out and practice life with those who are sinners. I didn't say you don't don't influence them intentionally in moments, but you do not hang out with them, the psalmist says. That's what it means. And, And you don't mock God. You don't laugh at what God is doing around the world, what he's doing in other people's life. You don't mock God at all. That's what a scoffer is. Somebody goes, oh, come on. God didn't do that. You don't do that. So three things, right off the top. But what does the blessed man or woman do? This is key for us today. They delight in the law of the Lord. They delight. They pleasure in and desire. They pleasure in or desire. Again, I want to remind you, uh, for them at that time, this, they would have understood, they delight in the law of the Lord. This would have been the first five books of our Bible currently and any other wisdom literature that they would have known at that point in time. The person spends their time day and night going, what can the Lord teach me? What is hidden in his word? Not just what is apparent in his word. We'll get to that. So let me ask you a question. What is a food item you desire in the fall? I know you've been thinking about it, even though it's going to be 80 degrees today. What is that? Yeah, some of you didn't know that. Sorry. Uh, What is that one food item? 
apple crisp, cider, hot chocolate, pumpkin pie with whipped cream, or maybe it's the inverse, I don't know, for you. So just quickly, turn to your neighbor and share with, share with one another what that food item that you would delight in this fall. If you're online, we'd love to see you make your selection or tell us in the comment section. Are you thinking about that food item? Let me ask you a question. Since I have you thinking about it, can you taste it? Can you almost taste it? Yeah, you can, can't you? For some of us, we can. We're like, oh no, I have to shut this off. This is not good. We have a little bit more time in the service. Can I just tell you that in a nutshell is what meditating is. That in a nutshell is what meditating is. is. It is this idea that we would, I know it's a weird word, meditate means to growl, right? This idea that a lion or a dog, Eugene Peterson kind of, uh, kind of helps us with this, and you can read the message translation uh, to get this, but it's this idea when we meditate, we're actually like chewing on a bone, right? Uh, somebody was over at our house, and our dog has several bones that, she, that he picks up, and uh, they're heavy, and he, he just goes after them. And after he kind of calmed down a little, she's like, I, th- I thought he was going to break a tooth, you know? Just chewing on the bone. That's what it is. And so now that I have you thinking about whether apple crisp or pumpkin pie or whatever, you're going to be thinking about that idea, this idea of just kind of ruminating Thinking it through, uh, we've used in the past this idea of how, it, how a cow chews on their cud to ruminate, brings it back forward into their mouth, and it's kind of gross, but to ruminate, to think through. Blessed is a person who will delight and meditate on Scripture. What happens to this blessed person who delights and meditates on Scripture? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And, do his, and its leaves does not wither, wither, excuse me. And all he or she does, he or she prospers. Can you imagine? Some of you are struggling with that whole concept. Really? You mean if I, if I spend time in God's word, then my life will prosper? Yes, according to God's word, it will prosper. Key words in there according to God's word, that there will be this idea that the psalmist is writing into it, that there will be this abundant life that will come to the person who sticks to the word of God, who sticks in and dwells within God's, God's you know, house, if you will. There will be a productivity, there will be a fruitfulness, there will be a health. But be careful to not infer what's not there. And I don't I think it's left out on purpose. It doesn't say that there won't be heartaches. It doesn't say that there won't be headaches. And it doesn't say that there won't be harm to you. But one who sees the world as God sees the world and starts to meditate on God's word will see it in his way. Why can we say this with great confidence? Because Job becomes our prime example He becomes our prime example. In fact, in Job 1, it says, He delighted in the Lord and saw, and he delighted in the Lord, and he was blameless and upright. 
I mean, he delighted in the Lord all the way through. And this wasn't written at the beginning of his life. This was written after everything, all calamities had had taken place. And it is written, he delighted in the Lord. Friends, when you think you can't, you can. When you think you can't, you can. It goes on, the wicked are not, are not so but the, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I, I, I just want to remind you that God is a promise keeper. That those he say will prosper, will prosper. Those who will perish, will perish. There is no hesitation in God. What is chaff? Well, here's a picture of chaff. If you're unfamiliar, I know some of us have traveled too many uh, uh, urban roads and not seen a lot of chaff, but this is what happens. This is what's left after uh, wheat or other grains are sifted. There is this leftover uh, kind of exterior to the, to the wheat that we, make, we have flour and stuff out of. And it has the ability to just to be blown by the wind. Just to be blown to and fro wherever the wind may move. And I want to remind you that the picture that, that the psalmist is giving to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is one of a tree that's anchored by the side of a river. That is ever, ever, and always getting the nourishment it needs. Not blown to and fro. I also know that there's something else that can happen to chaff when it's collected and in one place over a long period of time and there's heat added to it. It causes fires and it's burned up. It burns up everything around it. It leaves a trail Reminds me of 1 Corinthians 3, 12, and 13, where Paul tells us, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. It's exactly what the psalmist is telling us. Friends, build your house on the rock, build your house on a solid foundation, allow your roots to go down near a stream that continually waters it, and that stream is God himself in his word and through the Holy Spirit. As our minds contain thoughts, as our, as our minds contain thoughts and take them in and give them back, so will we be. That's what the psalmist is telling us. As we think about life, that's the way we will be oriented That's our destination. It can be changed, but that is our destination. I've heard this said, who you walk with in your life will be the destination of your life. Your Your five best friends, if you were to tell me who they are and I were to interview them, could probably tell you how your life is going to go if they stayed your friends for the rest of your life, just as you could about mine, easily. Because they exert a lot of influence on you, more than you would ever imagine. I think we forget how holy God is, and I love this word from 
I think it's uh, Tremper Longman, he says this, like the physical sanctuary, the literary sanctuary presumes an intimacy with God that only righteous can experience. I, I think sometimes we get this idea, oh, if you need something from God, just go to him. Just ask. And he's good, he'll give you no matter where you set in your righteousness with him, wherever you set in your sin with him. And I believe the psalmist is like going, no, 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 no. I, I want to give you a warning. Your life, your trajectory, if it's not facing him, if it's not in his word, if it's not allowing yourself to dwell within the boundaries of his kingdom, the trajectory of your life may not be the trajectory of what you think. In the Old Testament, the physical sanctuary was really sacred. The priests doing their duty to go into the inner temple would have a rope tied to their foot just in case the priest had not been keeping his intimacy with God in a way that would honor God because they knew that God would not deal with it well. And often they would have to drag a priest out because the priest was found dead much like Ananias and Sapphira that we find in Acts. God expects you to obey. He expects you to have diligence to the tasks, the practices that he calls you to. Yet, he's so good. That sounds like a harsh word, right? I mean, just a harsh word. Yet, he empowers you to do it by the Holy Spirit. He gives you the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you say, Lord, I want to be devoted to you, he says, look, I give you a gift of the Holy Spirit to empower your life, to be able to live for me, to think like I think, to do what I do. Not to think of the things of the world, but to think as I do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, reminds us that we need to trust in Yahweh. That word, by the way, uh, my daughter reminded me, hey, they, you know, and she's walking through some class stuff, you know that they didn't say Jehovah's not really the right word. She went through this whole thing, and I'm like, oh, really? Tell me. Tell me more. But it was Yahweh, because they couldn't say his word. They were so sacred. And it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and don't depend on your own understanding. In all your paths, know him. Know him and he will keep your path straight. If scripture calls you to know him, he is knowable, friends. So let me ask you a few questions. They're my questions too. What do I delight in today? You know, if it's a Saturday afternoon, it's pretty easy for me uh, these days. Uh, I, I delight in the Lord, but there's, there's something happening with Michigan State football that I just love. I just have to admit it. And maybe you guys are loving what's happened in Michigan. I get that. Or wherever your team plays. Or maybe it's that hobby, that house, that relationship. What do I delight in? You see, what I delight in, I tend to meditate on. So what do I meditate on? 
my bank account, my retirement. All good things to think about. Nothing wrong with them, but they do not and should not take priority over God's word. It is clear. They need to be prioritized. And when we prioritize them, as in Matthew 6.33, we're told, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. When he says all, all means all will be added to you. Because when I delight and when I meditate, that's where I dwell. Jesus tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart is. It's not easy. But it's doable. Very doable by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Colossians 3.16, Paul tells us this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Because out of it there's this teaching, this admonishing to one another in all wisdom, not your wisdom, not my wisdom, but God's wisdom, singing psalms, out of we have this eruption of like, oh Lord, you're so good. And maybe you're not a psalm singer or hymn singer, that's all right, but we paint or we do other things and we, we express ourselves and we're thankful for what God is doing. Quickly, I'm gonna walk you through uh, Lectio Divina. We've been through this before as a church. I want to walk through it quickly to remind us of how to read Scripture in order to dwell in Scripture. In fact, if you're wondering, almost there's a there's a way to come come at ser- sermonizing to um, give you the facts. But in some ways, when we tie a story to it, we're trying to tie it to your heart. We're trying to get you to. Find your way into the scripture so that it attaches, not about information, but about formation into the likeness of Jesus. Lectio Divina is this, it's divine reading. There are four movements in it. The first one is just simply, it's called Lectio, it's just reading. You have to choose a passage of scripture. And when we do, we, we, we expectantly listen for a word or a phrase from, from scripture given to us from the Holy Spirit, right? We, we read it and we go, oh, Lord, what do you have for us? Meditatio is meditation, an activity of both head and heart. We ponder the word or phrase from scriptures, from the scriptures given to us from Holy Spirit, right? We, we just allow ourselves to set in it, Lord, what do you have there? And then we have oratio. This is the response. Once we, have res- once we have pondered what the Holy Spirit has given us, we must, we must respond. There's, a, there's, there's something that must come from within us. Response can take the form of a form of prayer, drawing, bodily posture, paint, painting, you know, drawing or whatever, or even maybe just going for a walk where it just kind of sets itself. And then we, we contemplate 
contemplatio. It's from the Latin, contemplation, where we are invited to rest in the presence of God following being impacted in mind, heart, and soul. See, the issue for us in our westernized ideas, we just want the information. Give us the information, let's go. But from the very beginning, God's love letter desires us to have a relationship, not a religion only. He desires to bring us in. So in these next few minutes, I'm going to ask Melanie to come and just kind of play under this a little bit to calm our hearts, calm our minds. We do want to set with peace, as we were instructed earlier. So can I ask you just to close your eyes? And I'm going to read Colossians 3, 14 through 17 four different times. After each one of these times, I'm just going to ask a question based on the movements of divine reading. Trusting that the Holy Spirit is working in the space and place. Above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what word or phrase is Holy Spirit illuminating to you in these moments? Above all, above all these, above and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. this moment you want to ponder or think about the word or phrase Holy Spirit is bringing to mind. And above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As Holy Spirit has illuminated the word or phrase, as you have been pondering on that word, what response is Holy Spirit bringing to your minds to do? If, if you do not know, that's okay. Just, just wait. Press in and listen. God is good. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In this movement, we rest in God's presence. Sitting to allow his peace to permeate our heart, mind, and soul as he's He's speaking, he's confirming, and he's affirming. Father, we wish and hunger for a dynamic relationship with you. The Holy Spirit continues to inform us as Jesus invites us. Lord, we desire to read your word not as, a, as something on our checklist, but as something that comes from a deep hunger, a deep desire within us. But I sense, Father, you're asking us to develop that appetite for your word. That, Father, we would make ourselves available to you at the cost of other things that are less than glorifying, that are less than honoring. So, Lord, as we wish for the word of God to dwell richly within us, as Paul prayed then and we pray now, Lord, lead us into a greater hunger for you. Make us available for your work and your way. In Jesus' name, amen.